All right, so if you've got your worship guide on your first page, you'll see a section called the authority of, of, of Scripture in which we will read today's passage. And then you will see a passage in bold there at the bottom. We would love for all of us to say that in unison. So this is the word of the Lord. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, uh, who is to judge the living and the dead. And by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word and be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching and having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of the evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For all flesh is like grass. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat and we pray many blessings over the reading of God's word. Okay, I've got to confess something early on in this sermon because we are going, we're, we're, we're gathering together and we're asking this one question. So why is it that we gather each and every Sunday? We know that from uh, the psalmist, the psalm says, it was, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. We then heard this admonition for all of us to stir up one another and not forsake the assembly. We heard last week that we should gather underneath the authority of, of God's word. And so this week, why do we gather? is we're answering the question is, so why do we preach? And so the confession goes like this. I want you to know that I understand that I stand in a long line of long-winded preachers. I just, it's, it's this where it is. However, I, great, I gain great comfort in knowing that in Acts 20, there's a biblical basis for long-winded preachers. So if you know anything about Acts 20, and you may or may not, but it might be for fun reading this afternoon, but uh, Luke tells us that uh, the apostle Paul himself was preaching and he goes on and on as the scriptures say, so long that he's preaching even to the hour of midnight. And so he's preaching there and it tells us that he's in a three-story building and they're on the third story and there's a crowd like this, right? So there was an amalgamation of different generations and people all leaning in to hear from the Apostle Paul. But there was also some middle schooler or high schooler, just a young man. And he started to nod off a little bit. And so he thought, I don't want to disrespect the Apostle Paul himself. So he finds him, him, his way to a windowsill. He opens the window in order to get a little fresh air because that small room had gotten, uh, gotten a little small and a little warm and a little, just, just it was not great for him. And so this, little, this young man started to just get bored at the preaching. So he finds himself at the windowsill and the boredom didn't go away. He started with a slow, heavy eyelid, then the Sunday afternoon nod, and then the full shoulder slump. And the story ends that this young man falls out of a three-story window down to the pavement below and he becomes roadkill, dead, 
gone. Now that's the church service that I want to be a part of. And so like, so Paul, understanding what happens, he runs down to the, to the sidewalk. He then revives the young man and there is a Lord's Day miracle. So it's amazing. And so as I've thought about long-winded preachers and why we preach, I just thought it was good for us to come together to read from God's word, Acts 20, and say, if this is a comparison and if the criticism of being a long-winded is true, I haven't killed anybody. I put many of you to sleep, but you know, you know, we're measuring things here. And so uh, it is with shame that I have put many of you to sleep this morning. I hope that that's not one of the days. If not, I will call you out by name. I'm kidding. I won't, right? But I will lean and look at you like this. I'm kidding. And so if I extend past my 30 minutes, I understand. And if, I, if you are even checking in, my kids will do the old, you know, have the head, uh, the, the coach in baseball kind of looks to the pen and does one of these, like it's, it's time to wrap it up. Like I understand my cues. And so that's what we're doing. However, as we read in 2 Timothy, preaching should never bore us, should it? It should never bore people to death, literally in this, in this case. Because we understand that preaching is about God. We understand that God is the one who will evoke and mesmerize in unbelievable ways. You see, the, the, the subject of all good preaching is God himself, who is the most moving and the most thrilling, the most compelling, the most wooing object of any talk, anywhere, of any time. So we're spending the semester asking these questions of why should we gather? This morning, we're just asking the question, why should we preach? Because we believe that we're in line with the tradition, with local congregations from all places, times, that we have come to gather underneath the word of God because we believe that the word itself is living and active and it, is, and it can press into our lives in a real way. Romans 10 tells us very strongly, how do we have faith? And he answers the questions, we have faith through hearing. And so this is a faith endeavor this morning as we understand what it means to gather and why we preach. So let's just look at, at uh, chapter four, verse one. You see this, I charge you, dear Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. You need to understand a little history here. This is the book of 2 Timothy. This is the second letter to young Timothy. Timothy is a young pastor, right? He's underneath the tutelage of the apostle Paul. Paul calls himself the father of Timothy's faith. And so here's what's going on. Paul finds himself in a dark prison cell. Right? We see him and he's writing to young Timothy because maybe, just maybe, there is just some rumblings in Timothy's heart in order to what he should do to continue to press on. And so these are Paul's concluding words to young Timothy. This is a father of faith yearning toward a young brother in Christ Jesus. And how does he finish up? Because 2 Timothy only has four chapters. As he says, I charge you. A charge is a strong word. It's often meant to be a testimony of oath inside of a courtroom. 
where there is a judge and there are jurors and there's, 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 there's people. And so he says this with a strong and wonderful plea, I charge you, Timothy. And this is very similar to what we saw last week in which he says, I want you to continue on. I want you to stay right here. I don't want you to move on. I want you to stay right here. And I want to charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. And so who, who is in the courtroom? Who is the one who's hearing these, this charge? Who are the ones, the witnesses that are there? It's not only just people, but God himself and Jesus Christ who is crucified. And so that is justifying these words all the more, that these are weighty words. And the last words that young Timothy needs to hear from Paul is what? Preach the word. There's a significance of Paul being in jail. And it's not just that he's locked up, that he's a prisoner. It's the reason why he is in jail. Paul is not in jail because he is obedient to Jesus, even though he was very obedient to Jesus. The reason that Paul is in jail is because he is preaching another kingdom. He's preaching Christ and Christ crucified. And because Christ was crucified and then rose on the third day, we then call him Lord, Master, and even King. And that is a direct rebuke against the Roman government, especially Caesar himself. And Paul finds himself in prison for literally preaching the word. And so what Father Paul is telling young Timothy is, you may end up where I am thing is that Timothy is just scared to death by this reality. He may not want to end up like Paul. Instead, he may be tempted to do it another way. He may be tempted to, to do something maybe a little softer or so. And so maybe it's, there's an easier way. Maybe there's a more palatable message. Maybe there's something that I can come alongside society and not be so rejected. However, Paul is saying there is no other way. A step down into this idea of the presence of God in Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead. The second harshest thing that you need to understand that Jesus Christ is coming. There is going to be another judgment. And what Paul is telling Timothy is if Jesus was to appear, how will he find you? And he better find you preaching. Because Paul knows that there is a supernatural endeavor that's happening right now, whether you know it or not. But there's a literal or supernatural fight for your soul right now. If faith comes through hearing and all of us are listening right now and we are on a faith journey, what Paul is telling Timothy is that you have to preach because what you are preaching is something that is supernatural. It is coming from what we are calling the Holy Scriptures themselves. They're set apart, who is breathed out by the Holy Spirit in a supernatural way in order to go into the preacher and out through words in order to land on real people to make them alive. That's what you have to be doing in season and out of season is to do that very thing. He's not asking uh, young Timothy to visit the hospital, even though hospital visits are amazing, or to take surveys, 
even though surveys are fine. He's telling what the church needs from you, young Timothy, is to preach the word. Because he needs what Timothy really needs, the encouragement he really needs is that he needs to be on the front row of something supernatural, that Jesus Christ is able to to organize supernatural change in all of our lives. This is what he's able to do. So verse two says this, this is what you want to do is to preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Be able to reprove and rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So what is this one declarative? What is this one command? Is this idea to preach the word. There's something that is more valued and there's something that has more validity than anything else. And it is this, this idea is to preach the word. This is Paul's central command in this passage and it's found here at the, end of, of, at the end of this letter. Did you know that 36 times in this epistle alone there is some kind of mentioning of the word of God? 36 times. And so we wonder what is the crisis of Timothy's faith. faith. We wonder why he may be dodging and weaving just a little bit. Well, what is at the crux of Paul's ministry should be the crux of of Timothy's um, uh, ministry. And that is the declaring that Jesus Christ will reign supreme. And maybe Timothy is veering away from that a little bit. So 36 different references in 2 Timothy of the word in some way. But if you do some more math, there's 17 more times in which what Paul is telling Timothy has to do with fault, a false gospel or false teachings. So for instance, you hear this idea that do not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. This is one of the 36 or hold fast to the patterns of these sound words or be rightly divide the word of truth or a servant of the Lord must be able to teach. And then finally, what we saw last week is all scripture is God breathed. Preaching must be good and strong, but it also has to have an authority that is from God himself. Preaching is more than sound advice. It's more than exciting facts. It's more than worthwhile illustrations. It's better than conspiracy theories. And it's more than recommendations to follow What the preacher is to do is to teach as if these scriptures are holy and breathed out by God and God alone. And so where do we get this kind of audacious reality that we are to preach the word, right? Well, we need to understand that there is power here and it goes all the way back to the beginning. We spent an entire summer just thinking about this idea of creation and you saw this rhythm Right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? Verse two, and then, or verse three, and said, and then God said, let there be light. And the conclusion was, and it was so. And he does this over and over. And then God said, and it was so. And so in the very just beginning of our story is the idea that God speaks himself and that should blow us away, that he wants to communicate with us. But then he goes a step further in Exodus 20. What do you see? He's not only speaking, but he's actually writing some things down. 
You see, with his own finger, he writes in tablets of stone. So for the first time, we have God's very words with a fingertip of God so that we can read them in order that we can obey them. And they're engraved in stone, meaning that it is going to last from generation to generation, and it won't just be uh, blown away by any kind of wind there. And so how is God being made known? It's being, he's being made known through his word, both spoken and now written, meaning the authority came from God. The authority doesn't come from the messenger. It comes from God and God alone. Messengers are just speaking on behalf of God. Why? Isaiah 55 tells us that his ways are higher and better than ours. And of course, there's Jesus, right? The Old Testament, um, sorry, I don't know where number three is. Oh, the Gospels. And then of course, number three, we see Jesus Christ as the greatest preacher of all times. We see him in the Gospel of Mark, first chapter. This is what Mark wants us to know of King Jesus himself. He tells us in the first chapter, Jesus says, let us go somewhere so that I can preach. This kind of dissemination, this platform, whatever it is, this is the form in which we are able to do this over and over and over. And it would be odd if Jesus Christ used any other platform other than this method. Because God came into creation by speaking, Jesus Christ came in to be more than just the example, but to speak truth to us. It's consistent with all of creation. Why? Because he's speaking into our lives a new creation for us. Do you remember how Jesus' most famous sermon ends? This is the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. At the end, it goes like this. And when Jesus had finished, the crowds were astonished and asked, who is this who has this kind of authority? Who is this? Why? Because there's something in this art of preaching. And there's something in the authority of God's word that we truly live not by bread, but by the very words of God themselves. Mark Dever says this, the speed of sound is more significant than the speed of light because the people of God more often than not, that what we hear is more important than what we see. That's pretty strong. So we don't just preach the word, but we also preach the word, right? Same phrase, just a different emphasis. And so as a pastor, right, and as a preacher, you can't just know the word of God, even though knowing and studying the word of God is great. You can't just, just go about in your study and just know all the homiletic and hermeneutics of, of the word. Instead, here, to young Timothy is being told to do something with this word. It's called to preach the word. The word of God must be preached. And this is how young Timothy is gonna find himself approved, by preaching and what comes after this is this idea that there is some type of warning. There's some type of warning when you as a preacher are getting up there. Because why? Because are you in the center of the room? Literally. The answer is yes. The warning is, is the guy up front up front? Yes. Is there a microphone strapped to him? Yes. Is this a dialogue? No. And so there's a monopoly of the word. And so when we gather, 
underneath the preaching, we must understand that what our focus is first and foremost, what the word says the focus should be, and that's on Jesus alone, not the pastor. Because when pastors find themselves in the center, right, up front with a microphone, there's something, a unique temptation that awaits his soul. And that temptation is to make much of the preacher and not Jesus. The centrality of the word is the person and work of Jesus fully and completely. So I know you may be asking in this part of the sermon, like you got some questions you might ask. So um, what if the preacher's no good, right? What happens then? Or to put it in a, put a little bit more modern twist to that, why not just to subscribe to a wonderful YouTube channel? So why don't we even have to mess with gathering and preaching, especially if it's subpar preaching? So why even show up on a Sunday morning rather than just watching, quote, good sermons? So a good diagnostic is this. So is your pastor faithful to the text? You need to ask some questions, yes or no. Does the preacher preach the whole counsel of God or is he dodging certain things? Does the pastor fit the character and qualities that's found of an elder in 1 Timothy 3? Is the church a good fit for you and your family? And so if the answers to these questions are yes, and you feel like the Lord has led you to a certain congregation, let me be so bold to say the very best preacher is not the best preacher. The best preacher for you is the preacher you've got. If he stands up here to faithfully give you the very words of God, knowing that that pastor, that preacher prays for you before he preaches that he prays as much as he preaches. And that's a good diagnostic. The second thing that you may be asking now is, but aren't there some really crummy and bad preachers out there that are just terrible people who do shady things, quote, in the name of God? And does that not neglect or negate all, uh, all the preachers everywhere? Well, the answer is no. But the answer is also yes. Are there some terrible men up here that hold, quote, pulpits and declare God yes? And what we've seen throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, not just modern America and modern world, is that, yes, there are warnings of shepherds, people who hold this position, who are more interested in themselves than the people that they lead. The scriptures go on to describe them as thieves, and as wolves and false teachers who are intentionally leading other people astray. And so you need to make sure that the people that you listen to, that both their integrity and their words match. Be careful who we listen to. So you may be asking, right? Uh, you may say, so what are some practical things that your church, our church, Redstone Church, is doing to make sure that we're supplementing that the, the word of God so that the word of God can be central to our ministry philosophy? So first and foremost, I'd like to redirect our attention back to the summer. If you remember, we preached through creation and we put up what we call next-gen pastors in front of us. These are men who are praying diligently to the Lord, asking, Lord, is, are you wanting to do more with my life? Am I leaning in toward um, God's word? And so we had four men come and fill the pulpit and ask the question about calling and what their next steps are. And so this investment in the next gen comes with both training as well as also preaching. And we want to do that well. 
We are, we are so grateful for continuing education. Uh, if you don't know, on the way back in there, a uh, Redstone Church has written uh, lots of checks uh, to Southern Seminary, which is uh, my alma mater for Jeremiah Foster and church planting in Elizabeth and Sam Adams, both graduated from Southern. And we were able to support and help that. Even now, Joe Penny is in seminary at what, what's called Grimke Seminary in order to help him, train him on what the word actually is. We also have these things called uh, uh, an internship and we're dreaming about this idea of residency because what we are asking these next gen people are, is the scriptures sufficient for the next generation? And what we say is it is not stale and it is not moldy, but yes, it is truly sufficient for next generation ministries. What else do we do on Monday afternoons? You may or may not know this, but we have this thing called sermon prep. From four to five o'clock, we get in a room and we just dialogue with the, with the word and we learn how to dissect this passage week in and week out. And it's the passage that goes on uh, that we're gonna preach from. So we're super excited about that. So if you have any interest in being a part of that, know that at the church office at four o'clock, we do this, we dive in every week. Um, we're beginning to align ourselves with an organization called the Simeon Trust. The Simeon Trust simply puts on preaching workshops. So at the end of September, there's gonna be a preaching workshop that we're helping host here in Johnson City. And so the Simeon Trust is doing really, really good work. And then each and every Sunday, what we want to do is what we call expository preaching, where we try to unfold what the scriptures have to say rather than us coming from the outside trying to interpret it from the outside we want to interpret it from the inside John Stott says so what is this style of preaching it's when the preacher tries to pry open what appears to be closed uh, to, to try to um, open uh, also open what is obscure to unravel what is um, knotted to fold what is tightly packed and so this is what to do and so what did Paul tell young Timothy? To preach the word. To simply to preach the word. Then he says, dun, dun, dun. There's something else that's going on. It's more than just you, pal, he, Paul says. There's more rumblings than just in your heart. And there's lots of rumblings inside of a preacher's heart. Four. The time is coming when there will be others, when there will be people who will not endure sound teaching. They will listen to what you say, stick up their chin and just kind of peace out. They will have itching ears and then they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, will turn away from listening to the truth and then they will wander off into there will be people who will not endure. There will be people who will accumulate for themselves something that will be beyond what you say. Remember last week in verse 14, continue on. Stay right here. Be stubborn. Do not be progressive. Don't move on. Don't find something new. You stay right here, Timothy. This is what you do. You preach the word this is what the people truly need. And even when they're all gone, even when they walk away from sound doctrine, you stay right here. You see, what you are experience, experiencing, Timothy, when people turn their back on you and sound doctrine and they walk out of the door has been happening literally almost since day one. 
Don't you remember, young Timothy, that in the Garden of Eden, there was another voice. There was more vocal cords that were going on other than God's. And yes, God said, and it was so. God said, and it was so. And there was a communion between God and Adam and Eve, but there was another voice and it was a counterfeit voice. And it was chirping in the ears of your first parents, Adam and Eve. And the question is, did God really say? And at the heart of what is in your heart and in mine is to distrust God from the jump. To find every excuse to walk away from what he has to say. And so with that one temptation, did God really say? Hook, line, sinker. They all go, maybe not. Timothy, young Timothy, don't fall for literally the oldest trick in the book. You can trust God. You can trust his word. You can trust that he is good. But you also need to know that there is a lion out there that is fierce and he's here to kill and still and destroy. There's another voice that is full of lies, the father of all lies. And he's just as vocal. He's just as strong. He's just as persuasive. Just take the first seven uh, chapters in Proverbs and you see this fist fight, this literal fist fight between lady wisdom and lady folly. And there's been a war and there will always be a war over God's people. And so why do we preach? Why do we gather? Is to hear the words of God first and foremost. Why do you stand up? Why do we hear the words said out loud? Why do we submit to it over? Is because these living words are more important than anything that I will ever say. And it's also why we gather is protection. Because you are one day away from being those people. You are one week away, one podcast away. You're one article away from being this person. When another month or week or year goes by and you're like, where did I get here? It's because you have diverted your attention from the living, breathing word of God and you've gathered other voices. Be very careful who you listen to and where you have your passions lie. Why we gather is truly an anti-theft device. It's a security system in order to hear God's word over and over and over. Good preachers know that there's something supernatural that is happening between this microphone and those speakers and something that is happening in your heart. I was reminded this week of an old, old story. It was in Ezekiel 37. And the Lord says something so very bold and so very um, bold. He tells the prophet, I want you to go. I want you to overlook a valley. That valley is going to be filled with something. What it's going to be filled with is dry bones. You're just going to look and there's just going to be bones everywhere. It's lifeless. It's dry. It's dead. It's past tense. You know, it's just, that's just what you're going to see. But Ezekiel, I want you to have faith in my very word. Here's what I want you to do. I actually want you to start preaching to those dry bones. 
I actually want you to start speaking out loud over that valley. And Ezekiel does something strange. He obeys the Lord. And as he speaks, the Spirit of God does something so very supernatural that even now, thousands of years later, we're still talking about. Those dry bones come alive. That's the state of my heart and our hearts when we come in on Sunday. That oftentimes we're dry or dead or dispassionate or pained. And we need to be reminded that God is on the move and God can do something significant in your life and mine. Because the very gospel of Jesus Christ is the gospel of resurrection, of new life, of a new creation, of hope and grace and beauty. This is the message of God. The other is a valley of dry bones that is worthless and dry and dead. And it may look amazing, but it's dead end every time. God is offering you a new heavens and a new earth and a new reality and a new kingdom that is so very glorious and pure that it will literally change your life. So why do we gather? We gather to hear all of that over and over and over again. But as for you, as for you, young Timothy, you're going to be different. As for you, there's a contrast here. As for you, there's going to be something different about your words. It will, be, it will not be full of myths. It will not be fables. You're going to preach the word of God alone. You're going to do gospel work. You're going to proclaim Jesus And yes, you may end up in the same jail cell that I'm in, but let me tell you, it's worth it, he says. And so what do we do, brothers and sisters? What do we do every single morning, every Sunday morning? Here's just some very practical things that you can do. Pray for your pastors, right? Go to bed praying for them. Wake up on Sunday morning praying for them. Just pray for your pastors. If you can't pray, right, because you're going to fall asleep or you wake up too late, show up at 9 o'clock. There's a prayer service at 9 o'clock here. And part of the reason they gather is to pray for our gathering together and to pray for whoever's communicating that, the message. Because prayer always precedes good preaching. This is not, what we are doing here is not me giving you something. It is God giving us something. It's two very reasons to get up and out of the bed every morning. It's for God to give us something. Do everything in your power, everything in your power to limit distractions, right? And you know where you're distracted, right? You know what catches your attention or doesn't. So I don't have to fill in the blanks, but just do. Just just wake up just ready to go. Ardent, ready. I mean, just attentive, you're ready. So just try to think about your personal, I was going to say proclivities, that's too big of a word for the end of the sermon. Uh, your personal just distractions and, and go there. And lastly, just this idea of there's a stay here and preach the word. Like there's just some strong message from Paul to Timothy. And so for you to come ready to be engaged, to listen actively. Don't be afraid to take good notes. Have a hearty amen every once in a while. 
<laughs> write down a next step or two. Why do we gather? Brothers and sisters, why do we gather? Let's pray. So King Jesus, I pray that you will capture our attention this morning and that you will be the king over our lives fully and completely. I pray a prayer protection over all of these people that they will never turn their back on the sound teaching that you have given us written in your word. Forgive our temptations to look to the left or right, but help us to stay straight toward you. We, we hate our enemy. Because he's so good at his job. Yet you overcome. And you're more real than anything. And you long for your people to obey and to love have joy and a brightness and a hope that even in jail and even being prosecuted for being an obedient faithful that you could we could still be very different God this series is not about attendance or trying to drive up good attendance numbers this is about reawakening your people on why we gather Help us to see such significance, even supernatural reality of this hour and a half every single week that we can't wait to get there because you promised that you will meet us here through song and word and sacrament. So as we engage this table, King Jesus, help us to bend our knee in gratitude and also devotion this day. And it's in your name we pray, amen.